You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. It is the championship weekend coming up. And last week, going into the divisional round, we said that it's typically the best weekend of the NFL. And boy, did we undersell it. Amazing games. And we'll get to those in a few minutes. But first, let's bring on our first guest. He's a running back, formerly of Louisiana Tech Bulldogs and Mountaineers of Appalachian State. He calls Rocky Mount, North Carolina home. Number seven, Marcus Williams, Jr. Marcus, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad that you guys invited me up here, man. It's a great day today and just getting the day started. All right, very good. Well, it's draft prep season, so the All-Star Games are happening. Things are good. I'm sure you're excited about the next step. Uh, you participated in the College Gridiron Showcase a while back. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that whole experience? Not just the game, but just going there, working out, everything. Oh, man, College Gridiron Showcase, man. It was professional, very professional, set up very well. Uh, over 120 scouts there, I believe, was, uh, Jose said. It was a great experience to go to, man. I'm, I'm glad I did what did you learn? Something that maybe you, you didn't know coming in? Probably the answer out as far as like uh, what players get taxed on. They, they told us that expenses as far as like after you get your contract. That that'd probably be the biggest takeaway right there. Just <laughs> expenses of the contract and, you know, different expenditures and stuff with being a pro athlete, man. I feel like they're preparing me for the future. So the College Gridiron Showcase was the first all-star game that you went to and the second one was the tropical bowl that was in florida that was much nicer weather how did the tropical bowl compare with cgs very similar i think the tropical bowl it was more practice and uh going over the uh, like the game plays and stuff like that it was more game prep uh cgs was more uh just a day in the life of an nfl football player and what to expect certain rules and uh like i said earlier expenditures and uh, just preparing you all throughout the whole draft process and stuff like that, man. So CGS was more in-depth. Uh, Tropical Bowl was more of uh, practice, uh, interview with scouts, just more of the football aspect. What type of feedback did you receive from scouts and NFL teams at these two all-star events? You know, how the coaches and the whole staff just gave me high praise as far as like my, my character and stuff like that. Scouts said I was an every down back watching my film. Most of the scouts I talked to already remember me from uh, Louisiana Tech, so they watched the film. So they, they said I can block, I can run, I catch the ball and stuff like that, which which is great to hear uh, as a running back. Because, you know, the running backs have to do a lot of catching these days. Well, at least at these all-star events, you can communicate with scouts, right? When they show up at your school, they can't talk to you. They usually talk to your head coach. Is that right? Yeah, they talk to the head coach and stuff like that. Maybe the position coach just give you a little feedback. It was great to actually talk to a scout, man, and just to get some inside information of what they think and what they're, you know, feeling of you and stuff like that. Where are you currently training for the NFL draft? Now I'm in Texas, and I'm actually here right now uh, about to train right after this 
an interview. I'm at APEC, man, and it's been great so far here. Tony's been my trainer, and uh, now we're kind of on the back end training for Pro Day. And it's been amazing, man. Tell us about the daily grind that you go through. Tell our listeners, people like us that don't prepare for the NFL draft, tell us what you do on a daily basis. Like you go to like morning practice, and then you take a afternoon off and then you come back after lunch and then you know you probably have like a yoga day a swimming day you know a stretching day tell us about it a little bit yeah so uh, of course when you get up you have to get your nutrition in so whether you're a breakfast person or not you have to eat you have to put some on your stomach get in early you what you're going to do is work on your your weaknesses uh the weak points of your body and stuff like that, that you need to work on so that probably lasts from like eight to ten uh after that you go get a little bit of lunch, then you get into your first training session, which would be probably like lifting and running, speed training, depending on what day it is. Once that is over, you feel your body again, get your protein in, stuff like that, and you come back <laughs> and you hit the field for field work and positional work, maybe pro day training and stuff like that, sharpening the tools that you have. After you hit the field, you go eat again, and you're you're pretty much done at least right, like five or six or something like that, you know? That's a regular work day. Probably get in like two or three times a day. Skill development, uh, lift, speed training. Like you said, the yoga days, uh, Pilates and stuff like that. Just constantly rebuilding the body and tearing it down too. Guys putting on well, weight and stuff like that. Constantly tearing the body down, rebuilding it, sharpening your tools. And repeat day after day. So, What's been the toughest part about adjusting to this type of process? It's, it's no different, to be honest, as far as, like, um, it makes it easier. You don't have school. Uh, but as far as football, man, and being on the clock and constantly doing stuff with your body, making sure you're in top tier shape, it, it's pretty much the same with being in college. You just now don't have time. So it's actually better uh, to me. So you, you have the chance to really focus on yourself and the guys that don't know their body. You get to learn about your body and stuff like that and what you really have to get into, man. <laughs> I'm loving the whole process right now, to be honest. I thought it interesting. A couple of times you mentioned, you know, I mean, the business side of things. The ex- you mentioned expenditures. Now, some of us, we, we just don't know either. Other than paying your agent, what sort of expenditures did they tell you about? We really talked about taxes. Some people don't know every state that NFL players play in, you get taxed on that state. So you, you're playing in Texas. Of course, there's no state taxes in Texas, you can get the most of your money. If you're playing in California, you get taxed in California. That taxes is through the roof. <laughs> Other expenditures is nutrition. You have to eat the right food. You have to put the right food in your body. Uh, so some people might hire a chef, cook, or whatever. Another expenditure is physical therapy. Players opt to get their own physical therapy. Little stuff that guys don't realize, or some guys get taxed by the NFLPA if you're on the active roster. You get taxed a certain percentage. Uh, so that's taken out, too, as long as state taxes. That's things guys don't know. So they see all the money, but <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff you have to spend before you, you know, actually get what you want. You know what I mean? So you have to really budget for those things and be smart with your money. The big-time athletes and so forth, you know, they, they do spend a lot of money in their bodies and taking care of themselves. You've got five siblings. I'm assuming it was an athletic family. Were you all playing sports? Yeah, we all played sports. My youngest sister, she played volleyball and soccer. Uh, my older brother, he, he boxed. He's been like a two-year hiatus, but he's, he's a boxer. My little brother, he played football 
football too. It was the main sport. My two parents, they didn't play sports though, not in high school. My mother, but she's athletic though. She she does like five Ks and stuff like that, and she get in and get on the ladder with me. And it's very impressive. <laughs> she's actually athletic, man. So. Well, we don't want to yeah. get you in trouble with your folks and everything, but who's the best? Who's the best athlete uh, in the family? I knew this. <laughs> I knew this question was coming. I'm not sure. It'd probably be between me and my older brother, man, because he okay, boxing and football is two different trainers, but he can go out there and run ten miles. He's actually fast too, and and to be a boxer, you have to be highly skilled with your hands and stuff like that. But at the same time, football, to being a more skillful uh, sport, I'm I'm not sure. You have to pick your poison, but it's between me and my older brother. When you're out there by yourself, you can't depend on your teammates for sure. So that's definitely a tough sport. Does he do it professionally? Uh, he's going into a professional in a couple of years. Uh, like I said, he's on two-year high. He's, he's just now back training and stuff like that. So he plans to go professional in 20, I think he said 2023. That's something to look out for. Now, you played four different sports in high school. You know, you hear so many different stories of kids starting to specialize so early in life. Why would you recommend that kids play multiple sports? Just to stay active, man, and, and just you're a person like me, and you like to take on new tasks and stuff like that, man. In different sports, I recommend you playing every sport you can. Once you get in college, more than likely, unless you're, you're Deion Sanders, or <laughs> you're not going to be playing two sports, especially in high school, middle school, high school. You should play you can possibly can. That's person i was man i always wanted to be in sports i want to be involved in something i love sports man that's just the person i was man and I always wanted to try different things and kind of challenge myself so well one of the sports you were involved in was basketball obviously you you grew up in basketball country in north carolina D tobacco road you can go down the <laughs> list i mean rocky mount alone you know produced a couple of legends in the acc and then even in the nba phil ford buck williams among, you know, I'm sure there's many others. What's that? Uh, Brandon Ingram from Kinston, Kinston, North Carolina. He's one of the guys. Yeah, it's been a whole lot, though, just to see. Yeah. Least. Well, I'm just talking about Rocky Mount specifically. Yeah, if you went to the entire state, we I don't think the show is long enough. We'd, we'd be here all day. <laughs> Michael Jordan, James, were, you know, you can go on all day. But ultimately, you chose football. How did that come about? Uh, just a natural talent, man. I, football was a, a bigger love for me. And it just kind of gravitated to me and my speed, the strength I had. My area wasn't too much of a basketball. We had, uh, like, a couple teams that were big in, like, basketball. But it was mostly football. One of the guys who I looked up to, he played for Southwest Edgecombe High School, which is the high school I went to. And uh, I kind of always wanted to be like him, man. They made it to the third round. I'm like, man, I, I just want to be the one to make the state championship. Like, this is me as a little boy just looking at those older guys. So I kind of stuck with football, man. I just fell in love with the whole process. Marcus, do you recall your first moments or when you started playing football? Yeah, I actually started playing flag football. It was one time one of my teachers came to one of my games, man. and uh, I ended up reversing the whole field. So the play was to the right. I ended up reversing the whole field and, like, scored to the left. And, like, most little kids wasn't doing that. They didn't have, the, you know, the speed to do it. And once I made that uh, play and just, like, like seeing the crowd, it was amazing to me. It was a great feeling. I'm like, dang, I'm actually really good. So I went to playing tackle football, man. I was just scoring, like, 70-yard touchdowns, 80-yard touchdowns. And the high school guys were coming to my games. And they was like, yo, your little brother, because my sister went to school with them. They was like, yo, your little brother's going to be, 
like the next big thing out of self was this goal. You know, just stuff like that and, you know, the words those high school guys were saying to me and kind of stuck with me, man. It just made me, you know, hungry to just keep going and just wanted to be the best. Why did you choose App State? What drew you to that school? The culture, man. And uh, App State was cruel to me. Surprisingly, I didn't know too much about them. I didn't even know they was in North Carolina, to be honest. And uh, it was a man, Frank Ponce, he had came he came to my school. I think he's the OC now, now at uh, App State. He went to App State, then went to Louisville, and now he's back as the OC. But Frank Ponce came to my high school, man. He was like, hey, he, he's a Spanish dude. Hey, uh, Marcus, yeah, man, we'd love to have you at App State. That's like Frank Ponce talk, man. He's from Miami. And uh, I was like, App State? Who, you know, never heard of this school. Because at the time, I was getting recruited by, like, only big schools, so I, I really didn't know about the Sun Belt Conference USA, those conferences. I only remember what I seen on TV most of the time. I did my research, and I ended up watching their bowl game. It was the first bowl game they played in, and uh, it was the Camellia Bowl. They beat Ohio in that game, man. And uh, I was like, wow, these guys actually playing bowl games. They're, they're competing against big teams. They, they beat Michigan. They have, like, culture of winning for decades and decades. So I'm like, why not App State? You know, it's a perfect, perfect situation, and they run the ball. <laughs> the side on App State, it was a great decision, man. It was a great experience being at App State. Who yeah. were the big schools that were recruiting you during uh, high school days? I had handwritten letters from Mississippi State. They was like number one in the country at that time. Florida State called my school, like for my coach. Clemson called my school. Went to a junior days, UNC Chapel Hill, NC State, Duke. It was just all, it was like so many schools, man. It was rare at the time because most guys wasn't getting these looks from my school. I think no one signed in decades from my school, not even along my area. This was pretty big. It was all new to my coach. It was new to me. And I wish I knew what I knew now. I think I probably would have did a couple things different as far as like recruiting and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm pretty sure my coach probably do some things different. Did anybody pull the trigger? Did anybody offer you the scholarship out of those big schools? Yeah, Duke Duke was my first scholarship I offered. And I thought after that it would just kind of blow up. Wake Forest was like on the table. The running back coach had offered me, but he had to get it approved by the OC. And uh, I think they ended up like going with another guy. So I ended up not going to Wake Forest. UNC, Larry Fedora uh, was the head coach at the time. I think it was went through like two different head coaches. And they end up getting fired and stuff like that. So I didn't no longer have the UNC offer, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, recruiting shenanigans when coaches get fired and stuff like that. So that didn't play in my favor at all. So Duke ended up being like my only big offer uh, besides App State. It's amazing that I ended up at App State. We were like top 25 every year, probably best school in the line every year. So it was like, dang, actually ended up at the best school. If my son was a, a player, I would recommend him going to the App, App State. Just because the culture they have built up, man, just, just going from years and years and years to things that we do. Guys probably five to ten years ago do that same routine, and that's the key to success at App State. Uh, from academic help, uh, football, everything is just straight professional there. They're very high praise to uh, App State. It's a high-class program. I didn't win. There's good people here, too. Yeah, it's an amazing experience, to say the least. Uh, your former teammate, Darrington Evans, uh, plays with the Titans. I mean, I, he's had some, some injury issues and so forth, but w- how would you characterize or describe your relationship with him? Darrington, that's, that's my boy. That's the first person I call 
once I made my post and entered the draft, he's the first person I called, man. He just told me so much about, you know, just kind of being yourself. He told me I'm a great uh, blocker, which I'm going to have to be in the league. So he said that's going to already put me over a lot of guys. I'm smart and stuff like that. Tell me stuff about the whole process, man, from the combine to when he got there, how practice is. And just being myself is the biggest takeaway I, I got from Darrington, man. And um, that's a guy I actually came into App State with. We both came in. Uh, he came in as a receiver. I came as a running back. He ended up uh, moving a running back. I got hurt my freshman year. He ended up moving a running back, and he ended up staying there. I ended up sharing the backfield with Darrington for like two or three years when we went all those runs. We won championships, man. Darrington, he's just a smart athlete. He's a, he's a fast guy. He, he, he's a great guy all around. That's that's the type of people actually, you know, recruit. He's a good person to have in your corner. So you had a great time at App State. A lot of great teammates, a lot of great coaches, the foundation, the culture. Why did you eventually decide to transfer to Louisiana Tech for your final season? I was at App State probably for 100 years. <laughs> 100 years. I was there since 2016. And uh, one of my decisions, whether I leave or come back, would be was my quarterback coming back and was all of my offensive linemen coming back. You know, I kind of sat down with some of the seniors and kind of talked about it. And some of the guys who actually said they were leaving end up coming back, I want to broaden my horizon in the offense. I want to catch the ball more and show the NFL scouts, NFL teams, I can catch the ball and do different running schemes. So that, that was part of the biggest decision to me leaving. Most of the guys I came in with had left. I was pretty much an older guy there, super older guy there. I wanted to see what's out there, man, and going to different offenses and uh, showcase different, different talents that I had. So that was the biggest decision for me. Did you consider going into the draft last year? Yeah, that's another thing. I was actually considering going into the draft. My grade was a uh, pretty good dra uh, draft grade, probably what it is now, late round, priority free agent. Yeah, it was a tough decision, to say the least. Man. Just leaving a great program like that or entering a draft or going to a different program, it was definitely tough. I decided to come back just because the COVID year, no fans and stuff like that. And I'm like, that happened to be my last season, but I want to end my season on a COVID year or – But I just want to, you know, play again on normal crowd and just have the the, uh, the senior that all seniors should deserve. You know what I mean? It was tough, man. It was a whole lot of whole lot of obstacles. But uh, I decided to come back and uh, play another year and uh, with a different school, man. All right. I want to ask you about two separate games. First game of the year against Mississippi State. Stat line wasn't great. 13 carries, 21 yards. Obviously, SEC team. Different game. Yeah. Against Charlotte, you know, 131 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, you showed out. What's the difference in your eyes between those two games? Okay, Louisiana Tech is more of like a pass-first team. And um, going into the Charlotte week, we actually lost our quarterback. So the team that week is, okay, we're going to run the ball. We're set on the run. You know what I mean? We don't want to put too much pressure on the quarterback. Uh, force him to make Aaron throws, want him to feel comfortable. So we're, we're going to run the ball. That's exactly what we did going into Charlotte. The offensive line, they loved it, man. Once they got going, holes start opening, start hitting the holes. Uh, the OC, uh, Joe Sloan, he was like, yo, we're going to run the ball. Man. That's been playing on all week. And then the Mississippi State game, what what was happening there? Uh, for the Mississippi State game, hats off great defense. They're probably like top end and run defense. 
and uh, we just didn't run the ball as efficiently. Uh, it was our first game, you know, playing together. Not only me, but like we had like three or four different offensive line transfers. We just wasn't really uh, gelling. Then again, hats off a great defense. <laughs> the Mississippi State, I knew that going in. They did it often, man. That production I had, it, it was awesome all year for those guys. So, Marcus, how would you describe your running style to our listeners that haven't seen you play? Um, I say I'm a smooth, I'm a smooth runner. I'm good at manipulating the holes, pressing the hole, then hitting it, and just exploding through the hole. I am a physical runner when I have to. Those short downs, great again the short downs, and uh, just explosive running, man. I can catch the ball very well. I can make plays on there, create space. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm very elusive and explosive runner. So, what are your some of your favorite running plays? Whether, whether the call, the scheme, or I mean, obviously, you know, App State was different from Louisiana Tech. It seems like you changed a little bit the offense. What yeah. are some of your favorite plays? As far as run plays, I love outside zone. I love outside zone. We didn't do it as much as Louisiana Tech, but uh, App State, that's all we ran inside and outside zone. Outside zone has to be my favorite run play. It's kind of hard for the defense kind of be in the right place at the, at the right time all the time. And uh, the linebackers have to be very disciplined in, in their gap. If they overplay the gap, stick your foot in and hit the scene and go for no less than five yards if they're out of their gap or turn into a uh, big play. If they're playing it too soft, you can hit the edge and take what they give you. If they, they completely miss the reads, it's pretty much a touchdown. You get past the safeties, man. So I love outside zone. It breaks defenses down. <laughs> you like watching the 49ers play. 49ers, man. They completely straight outside zone. And the running back, uh, he came from the Sun Belt, Elijah Mitchell, and they ran the same play at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, man. So he's probably the perfect running back for uh, offensive scheme they have, man. I guarantee you that Kyle Shanahan and that front office have you on, on their board. Don't worry about it. They'll oh, bring you in. Oh, man, I would, I would love that, man. I would love that. Run their zone scheme they run. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would enjoy that. All right, let's find out what or who motivates you every day to get out of bed and and keep pushing and working towards your goal of making it to the NFL. Who motivates you? To be broad is my family. To be specific, it, it has to be my my mother. She's probably number one. She's always sending me quotes, Bible scriptures, YouTube videos. Of course, been been through this process with me since I was like so young, man. She learned football, she learned the recruiting aspect, just everything and she motivates me probably more than I ever <laughs> want someone to motivate me, man. She's my biggest fan. Her, I do it for my mother. I do it for the, uh, you know, the people that never got the chance to do this or n- never got a chance to even, you know, go to the league and stuff like that, man. So I'm, I'm very humble and appreciative, man. And loving the experience right now, so. I'm guessing this might have come from her. I read a quote that you posted on your Twitter feed. If you don't go upright, you won't go down right. What does that mean to you? Oh, yeah. That quote right there is just about integrity. 
and it's about integrity, humility, and just the whole process. Doing things right. Once you're going up, you're succeeding. You're having success. Just doing things right. Treat the janitor how you treat the CEO. Life going in full circle because you're not always going to be on the high pedestal. One day you're going to come down slightly, whether it's a big dramatic drop or just small. If you're not going upright, you know, people are going to remember that. You know what I mean? So when it's time to go down, they're going to bash you, especially if you're in a big spotlight. I feel like just, just integrity, humility, and doing things right. You know, whatever faith you have, just keeping it safe. All right, Marcus, it's been a pleasure catching up with you during this uh, process, if you would, uh, going to the next step. You got an opportunity here, if you'd like, to go ahead and give out your social media handles and plug anything you want. All right. Uh, thanks, you guys, for having me uh, on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, my Twitter, oh, Mark Will Jr. If you guys follow me on Twitter, my Instagram is Marcus Williams Jr. You type that out, probably pop up, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right, Marcus, we'll be pulling for you. Get after it. All right. Appreciate that, man. Talk to you guys. We have a ninth coaching opening, which. I don't know if it came out of left field, but here we are. Sean Payton yesterday, he kind of hinted towards it, and then uh, ownership kind of told him to take a week. And boy, it was almost as if he was on the therapist's couch yesterday. He took an hour and a half at his press conference, and it was an amazing thing to watch, actually. But here we go. New Orleans, job is open. Good luck, next coach. Yeah, I'll always remember Sean Payton and Drew Brees together just resurrecting that New Orleans Saints football program because that was a dumpster team. Nobody wanted to go there. They didn't win. They didn't do anything. A lot of the times I thought that they didn't even exist because they were kind of a walkover. I mean, you could easily defeat the New Orleans Saints. That whole thing with Mike Ditka and trading his entire draft for Ricky Williams and thinking that was kind of going to save him somehow. Well, it didn't. And then all of a sudden, like Sean Payton comes out of nowhere, this offensive coordinator who was with the New York Giants and then with Bill Parcells and the Dallas Cowboys, he comes to the Saints and just completely like changes everything. And obviously it wasn't only him. He was able to bring in Drew Brees and they did some outstanding things. I mean, the way they just operated that offense, the way they made it look so easy at times, the fact that they captured that Super Bowl after the the Katrina disaster, he's always going to be remembered for that. NFL is a very demanding game for players, for coaches, not only head coaches, but defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators. It's a grind, man. I mean, it's like they always talk about it. They they sleep at their job. They don't see their families during the season. And eventually it takes its toll. We always feel like these coaches like Sean Payton are going to coach forever. But that's not the case. I mean, they do burn out. These things do happen. So, I appreciate Sean Payton for what he's done for the game, the the exciting offensive scheme that he brought to that team. For all those people who think that he might become like the next Dallas Cowboys coach maybe next year, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think that once Sean Payton leaves and gets that cushy TV job, I think he's going to be kind of a Bill Cowher type. I don't think he's going to leave. 
When I think of Sean Payton, it's almost like he's an offensive-minded coach with a defensive mentality. And I think he probably got a lot of that from Parcells as far as just how how he like carries himself, how he runs things. Because typically when you see that kind of taskmaster, you know, attention to detail and everything else, it seems like it's it's more of a defensive coach. So that I guess just from a style perspective. But yeah, I mean, 16 years, you know, he's woven into the fabric of that city. Jim Morris Sr. had some good years for them, but good years for them was maybe having a winning record, a couple of playoff uh, appearances, but really not a whole lot. So yeah, it was a completely different situation once he gets in there. And then Drew Brees, I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, at the top of everybody's list. I mean, famously, the Dolphins were very iffy about the medical situation with his shoulder. And it was like, well, you know, New Orleans will take him as an, almost like an afterthought. And, well, the rest is history, as they say. I don't know. You know, it really depends on how things go. He kept saying that it's not in in him to coach right away, which I get that makes sense, you know, take some time off. But Parcells kind of, you know, he did that too. It was like he did TV real, real quickly. And I don't know that he really meshed with it. Whereas Peyton's personality, I think, lends himself better to that. And just the fact that everybody knows him and the relationship, like you said, with Drew Brees. So I think a natural for him might be to go to NBC right? And almost be teamed with Drew Brees. Now, this is just something that I came up with in my head. And What would it be like, right? Because you've got uh, Al Michaels in the last year of his contract. They've got kind of the uh, broadcaster-in-waiting, Mike Tirico, sitting there. How about if Al and Chris kind of move off into... I don't know, Amazon or one of these other streaming services that's going to be doing games, and they bring in the three-man booth, Tariko, Breeze, and Peyton. What do you think? Yeah, I think that would work very well. I mean, those guys, they would mesh well together, and Tariko would get out of the way, and an average fan will learn a lot about the game of football from those two. Everybody's talking about this past weekend's games and how epic it was. And it's easy to become prisoner of the moment and say, oh, this was the greatest weekend. But seriously, I mean, every game ended in a walk off, whether it was the touchdown in Kansas City, the, the kicks in all three of the other games. And it was high drama almost start to finish. Was this the best? divisional round weekend was it the best weekend ever in the NFL who knows that's up for debate but to me I mean the thing that I just kept coming back to is that it seemed like all the teams that won well even some of the losing teams the quarterbacks none of them really flinched and the one that really stuck out to me I mean you could obviously Mahomes versus Allen I think as long as those guys are healthy that's going to continue but Burrow Getting sacked, dropped nine times. That rush was relentless. The line was, it was just killing him. But, you know, he really never wavered. It wasn't like he started dropping his eyes and looking at the rush. He didn't, you know, oh, I'm just going to check it down to, you know, to slow these guys down. He kept firing. That, to me, even though, you know, the other guys put up much better numbers, touchdowns, the whole thing, and it was a crazy, crazy game. But to me, Burrow's performance, I think, kind of stood out. Well, the kid grew up. 
Let's just say that. I mean, he's the first quarterback drafted number one overall to win a divisional round playoff game in his first two seasons. I mean, that says something. He wasn't drafted by a winning franchise, okay? The Bengals were successful back in the day. That was 30 years ago, okay? He went to a team that people laughed at. So when the quarterback comes in and he is able to change that culture, kind of give them that inner confidence, I'm not saying he's doing it all by himself. He's got a good talented team around him but it does start with the quarterback and he didn't flinch against the number one titans there i mean you said it i mean he was beaten up i mean they sacked him a lot of times they have knocked them down almost on every play that he had the ball but he kept on getting up and kept on firing and that tells you a lot about a quarterback when he's willing to get up because there's some other quarterbacks when they're under fire they start running away. I, mean, I can name a couple of quarterbacks like that in the NFL right now. But during Saturday's game, I caught myself saying, look, special teams, they do matter. Like, we always forget about that part of the game. Like, we always focus on offense, defense, those key matchups. But whether it was with the Bengals game against the Titans, where the rookie kicker, Evan McPherson, you know, showed that he had ice water in his veins when he kicked that 52-yard game-winning field goal. By the way, the first player in NFL history to make four-plus field goals in multiple games in a single postseason. So McPherson is quickly becoming one of the better kickers in the NFL period. And I would have to say about my 49ers against the Packers as well. I mean, the Packers had a lead. And like for the first 10 minutes, the 49ers were schooled by the Packers. I mean, they got off to a hot start. It looked like it was going to be a blowout. But that fumble by like Mercedes Lewis changed momentum with like five minutes left in the first quarter. And then the 49ers had that blocked field goal at the end of the half. And then, you know, obviously Hufanga came up with that recovery of a blocked punt in the fourth quarter. So again, Robbie Gold obviously comes up in the clutch at the end of the game with the game winner. During those two Saturday games, special teams just reared its ugly head and it's the reason why the Packers lost and you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago before that the Packers had issues with special teams during the regular season and that just basically ended their season against the 49ers. My son had just texted me about that time when the the block punt happened and I said if he wasn't already fired the special teams coach for Green Bay just got fired. Is it his fault? Yeah, ultimately it falls on him, but my goodness. And you mentioned Robbie Gold, and, and the picture and the video that, that really stands out to me is that at the beginning of the game, well, even before the game started, and the Packers are going through their intros at the beginning of the game, PA announcer introducing players, and Robbie Gold is kicking field goals through their line. <laughs> it was just one of the funniest things that I saw. He didn't stop. You know, they're doing intros. He's hitting his practice shots. You know, Jimmy G, it wasn't pretty. Made his plays, you know, when he had to. couple throws to Kittle were pretty strong. And again, Debo Samuel, look, you know, we've talked about him enough. I mean, anymore, you got a couple of guys that have elevated themselves that have to be, like, mentioned in the top five receivers in the NFL now between him and Cup. And another guy that had a, a ton of pressure on his shoulders was Stafford. And he is has come through. You know, that game, it, it went sideways. And it's like, oh, my God, is this another Brady miracle? I mean, they were just 
folding. You could see the team cracking, and then Stafford makes the two big plays to cup, and it was just you know lights out at that point. How can you let Cooper Cup get open like that oh, on those yeah. two plays? Yeah. I mean, don't get me started. I mean, the first one I could see because that that move he put on the that was just sick. You know, I mean, like a, almost like a triple shake. And he gets open. But that one where they're coming with a zero blitz, and yeah, that was, I have no words. I mean, there was a couple of plays are just inexplicable, sort of like the end of the Chiefs game, where it was just like, how do you how do you let your defense just, it's like they weren't even there, you know? It just it's like a parting of the Red Sea. But on that one, yeah, Cup. Lou, it's the same thing. You know Cooper Cup is the first option on that play for Matthew Absolutely. Stafford because yeah. he's been his favorite target the entire season. Okay, yeah. Everybody knows who he's looking at for the most part to get open. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. He's looking at Hill. He's looking at Kelsey. Why don't you double them? Why don't you leave Nicole Hardman open? I don't give a shit if he's open, but he's not looking his way. Okay, Triple team Kelsey and double team Hill. Leave everybody else open. Okay, Mahomes is not looking in that direction i can guarantee you that but unfortunately i mean the bills and the bucks i mean they they seem to amaze me in that regard they don't know what the hell is going on maybe they don't recognize and realize the situation why don't you get a bump on travis kelsey off the line of scrimmage why don't you like slow him down for a half a second for god's sake get that timing off but he's not running an out he's going in the middle of the field that whole fake that he did that was bull I mean, that wasn't happening. He wasn't going out for an out route for five yards. So I'm saying the Bills secondary and the Bucks secondary, they just blew it because Brady and Josh Allen did their part and the defense just let them down. I mean, they did two separate things here because I know the, the, the Rams won. I think it was more, I don't know if it was a busted cover, but again, you're zero blitz, you know, under a minute left. You have to protect against the field goal because, again, the field goal is going to beat you in that case and in the other case send you into overtime. But as far as Cup is concerned, again, from a formation standpoint, I'm sure the defense has certain rules, right? This formation, this is how we're going to play it, and this is all game planned and whatever. Are you saying that perhaps before the defense goes out on the field that Bowles brings them together and says, okay, these are the rules for our defense, but in this particular situation, we're going to play it a little bit differently. There's no way I'm going with the zero blitz on that one. And even if I'm sending but he call, pressure... But he did call it, <laughs> right? But so. even if I'm sending pressure, Lou, I'm doubling Cup because I want Van Jefferson to beat me. I want, you know, somebody else. I don't want Cup to beat me. So I'm doubling him, okay? Because I know against single coverage, he's going to beat it. He's going to get open. So... I think those are the things you have to recognize. Like like with the Chiefs, same thing. I mean, Kelsey, like on in overtime, he's being covered by a linebacker. Are you kidding me? When that he made that catch and then the Chiefs kicked that field goal. I mean, he wasn't it was a zone coverage, but they should have like condensed. They should have had two guys closer together knowing that Kelsey was going to run that route somewhere in the middle of the field because he had to get 15 yards and not five to kick that field goal. So you have to know the situation a little bit. They practice it. They talk about it in meetings, but they didn't execute it on the field. Both teams didn't. So it's just the coaches... They have to take responsibility for it because they didn't talk about it in the most key situations at the end of the game. So, yes, 
Todd Bowles, Leslie Frazier, those are the guys who are to blame here. Bowles was more on brand, coming with a zero blitz. He was being maybe overly aggressive, but he was aggressive. Whereas the Bills, they just, they were protecting against the Hail Mary, it seemed like. Like somehow Mahomes was just going to launch one like deep towards the end zone, thinking, well, 13 seconds, they're not going to try anything underneath when, hey, their kicker's pretty good. He did miss one earlier in the game, and he missed an extra point, so okay. But I don't think you're going to rely on Butker missing if you're the defense. And yeah, to your point, you would think they would have been not like in like press man, but at very least, even one of the rushers try to knock you know Kelsey or Hill off their route a little bit. And it all started. You talked about special. We were talking about special teams. How about the kickoff? How about you put the ball in play, rely on your guys to go down and make a tackle, and it was going to take up like four or five seconds. And now it's like they have one play and then potentially a kick. You know, these teams, it's like you have to learn from your mistakes to advance in the playoffs. Now, last year they got to the championship game and lost to the Chiefs. But you would think they would have learned from that game a little bit, hey, we have to be on point, you know, attention to detail this team knows how to do it i mean against new england a few years back they only had 18 seconds left and they were able to get the game tying field goal you know against brady's uh, new england patriots and they ultimately lost where mahomes didn't touch the ball and everybody's up in arms just like this game allen doesn't touch the ball in overtime but again the defense itself they were way too passive they were guarding sidelines when the Chiefs had two timeouts, so they didn't need to do that. And they were way too deep. If they needed a touchdown, that would have been a great defense, right? But they didn't. All they needed was a field goal. So, you know, again, I'm thankful that the Chiefs executed. You still have to execute. And they had the plays that they wanted to run. They were ready for it. And they did what they needed to do. But, yeah, you can't look at that and say it wasn't a massive fail on that defense. As a Chiefs fan, Lou, you will always remember those 13 seconds. 13 seconds. seconds. I have it underlined right here. This may be my the title for this episode, Alex. Or hold my beer. Because I think uh, Mahomes and Allen were in the ultimate hold my beer situation going back and forth there in the last couple of minutes of the game and actually throughout the entire game. The whole Grim Reaper thing with Reed. This this is going to be remembered for a long time. And, you know, 13 seconds will be one of the phrases. I think the Grim Reaper thing when Reed was telling that to Mahomes when things are grim, be the Grim Reaper. What I don't know how true that is, but it sounds great and it's a great story. So anyway, we have a second guest. Let's go to him now. He's a wide receiver, punt and kick returner, cornerback, and also played some running back for the Bulldogs of Yale University, the pride of East Charlotte, North Carolina, number seven, Melvin Rouse the second. Melvin, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Doing great. Glad to have you. Right off the top, we'll go back to high school. How did your high school, Charlotte Latin, prepare you for the, the rigors of uh, going to Yale? Uh, well, on top of, you know, just being academically very challenging and uh, one of the, like, top private schools in North Carolina, it definitely taught me how to manage my time as well. Um, it was the first time I'd ever been put in a setting where, 
nobody was telling me what to do with my time. It was just I had a lot of free time, so I had to learn how to really use it wisely and productively. And at Yale, it just kind of translated. And um, I think like that was the biggest thing I saw I didn't really have trouble with that a lot of people had trouble with definitely just transitioning and learning how to spend their time wisely. So definitely I'm grateful for Latin for that attribute. Was that your design to go to an Ivy League school, having gone to such a prestigious uh, private school for high school? Uh, it actually wasn't. Yeah, I was really pretty much set on going to Duke. Um, I actually got a verbal offer from Duke my ninth grade year, and my high school quarterback, Daniel Jones, he was already at Duke. So I was kind of just set on going there, um, you know, being one of my best friends. Some stuff happened. I ended up decommitting from Duke. And I think a week later, um, Yale came to our school, asked me about some test scores. And then a couple of days later, uh, told me they wanted to offer me and get me up on an official visit. And the rest is history from there. So I definitely didn't plan on, you know, going to Ivy League school. It was never my plan, actually. But I'm very thankful that it ended up happening like this. All right. So you played high school ball with, with Daniel Jones. He was a you know, pretty well-rounded athlete i believe in high school what did you learn playing with him the definition of like actual hard work um i thought i was a hard worker just because i would you know would go out on the weekends and do a little extra but um him it was like every day uh non-stop just the way he prepared for games even in high school the way he ate his diet the way he watched film a lot of people don't know this but like i think his senior year Every day at lunch, he gave up his lunch to go down and meet with our coach to watch film. So just stuff like that um, really stuck with me. He put a lot of drive and uh, a lot of work ethic in me, so I definitely learned a lot from Daniel. So it looks like you played in the state championship game all four years of high school. You won it your senior year. What was your role on those teams? See, you play a lot of different positions. What was your role for the team? I mean, to summarize it up, basically, my role was just to be a playmaker. Um, wherever I was asked to be a playmaker at whatever position that week, that's why, you know, I just honed in, watched a lot of film, and just tried to do my job at a high level. So it's a nice pat on the back to, you know, see people respected that from my freshman year to my, my senior year. Um, and obviously, we had to be, you know, be doing something right if we made it to four state championships. So won the last one and went undefeated. So that was definitely my role, just being a playmaker and being a leader, just because I had so much football experience, even to be that young. So those are my two roles for sure. All right. So you said you were set to go to Duke. That didn't work out. Anybody else offer you coming out of high school? I committed to Duke pretty early, kind of shut down my, my whole recruiting process. Wasn't really talking to a lot of coaches. And then once I decommitted, Picked up about 10 or 11 offers, um, some smaller. Had some Power 5 schools telling me, you know, they would take me as a walk-on and stuff because I decommitted basically with a month left until signing day. So a lot of people had spots filled and stuff like that already. So I had, you know, some preferred walk-ons. I had about 10 or 11 offers from uh, smaller schools. But Yale was the only school in the Ivy League that actually offered me. So, yeah, that ended up being the one I liked. So everything worked out. Well, it certainly sounds like academics is pretty important to you and you excel in that uh, arena. What type of uh, academic pressure, if you would, do you feel at an Ivy League school, in particular, obviously, at, at Yale? The thing for me is I've really been good like my whole life just kind of focusing on myself, not really comparing myself to other people. So the academic pressure is what you make of it at Yale. If you put a lot of academic pressure on yourself, then you'll feel it. Um, you know, everybody wants to do well. I think that's a given at Yale. So 
there's a level of pressure everybody puts on themselves because they know they can get out of themselves academically. There's some that are definitely, that's their thing. You know, education is, is their football. The pressure is definitely what you what you put on yourself at, at an Ivy League institution, especially at Yale. Okay, so you're a, a kid from the South. Is there mm-hmm. any social pressure on campus? Because, I mean, obviously now you're in New Haven, Connecticut. It's an elite school. You know, you're not worthy of the position. Obviously, you're very worthy of it. But just from a social aspect and just kind of interacting with, from the outside, it just seems like there's a bunch of blue bloods there and they come from all over the country, uh, senators' kids, lawyers' kids, judges' kids. You know, that's just the look on the outside. Give us, you know, that inside. How was it for you? What was your experience there? Social pressures are definitely way more, to me, they were way more relevant than anything academic because... You know, if you go to Yale, you know, you care about academics, you care about school, you understand that, you know, education is important. But the thing I really most greatly appreciated about Yale was how big of a melting pot it was, Um, because I was the same way. I thought it was going to be a bunch of blue collar, stuck up, wealthy kids, come from senators and, and, you know, business owners and stuff like that. And there are like people, you know, who are senators, kids and stuff like that. And um, I think there's like, you know, two ends of the spectrum where they're are, you know, your typical blue bloods, but then they're your blue bloods who still, you know, work hard and feel like they have to make a name for themselves, even though their name is pretty established at an institution like Yale. So, um, and I respect that, but I definitely think the melting pot aspect of Yale is like the biggest thing that is just so mind blowing because you can have somebody who's, you know, on a lower income, just playing field. And I've even met people who were, you know, on food stamps, but Yale is so good about, you know, not just only putting blue bloods into Yale, that they have a greater financial aid program and they just get basically the most talented, smartest kids with like the best stories. And that one thing I can say about Yale is, you know, everybody I met at Yale had to overcome something. So definitely open my eyes. It's not your typical Ivy League for sure. So what do you feel you overcame? Uh, I definitely overcame a lot in high school. Um, I lost my dad and my grandfather pretty much in the same month when I was a sophomore which kind of, you know, like took me off the recruiting trail a little bit. It just kind of made me take a step back, you know, being the only man in the house at that point. Uh, my brother was gone and stuff like that. He was already older. So just kind of being alone, had to overcome that, you know, decommitting during that time as well. Um, I decommitted like a couple months after that. So it was just a lot going on. And I think that's why Yale really uh, took a liking to me because because of my story and because of how I overcame a lot and, um, you know, there's a lot of fighters and a lot of overcomers at Yale. So I think that's where we all genuinely made a bond as Yale leads together. Um, you know, everybody had to overcome something to get to Yale. Because at the end of the day, even though if you didn't know it was your dream, it kind of slowly becomes your dream when you realize that, it, that you know, you going there can become a, like a real thing. It's just reality. So even if you, like I said, if you dream about it, if you don't dream about it, just going to an Ivy League school, it's amazing. So what do you think your dad left with you? that you carry to this day? Uh, His biggest influence on me is just not really being selfish in my thinking. Um, I've always been one to, like, I had some offers that were probably better for football than it was education, but um, just because of the principles my dad instilled in me, I picked uh, Yale because I knew I could help my whole entire family if I went to Yale. You know, just not putting myself first in a lot of situations and putting, like, my family and others first, like my dad used to not being afraid to be a provider and like someone to, that people can lean on. Um, 
being helpful and just being there for people. I think it's the biggest like traits my dad left with me that I, I still hold to this day and just try to basically imitate. Well said. I, I'm sure he's looking down on you and very proud. What was your most memorable game or moment while you've been a Bulldog? You know, we have our 2019 game where we came back against the team up north and beat them 50-43. to 43. We were down pretty bad at home, and we had a climate change protest in the middle of the field. Like, that That one always comes to my mind, but my favorite one is definitely, like, when I came in my freshman year and we won the Ivy League championship undisputed, um, and that hadn't been done since, I think, 1980 or 1981 at Yale. And that team was just very special. We had uh, two guys that are in the league now, Boya Luacon and Jaden Graham. They both played for Atlanta. They were huge role models for me, just meeting, you know, older guys like that who had the – like coming to Yale, you don't think a lot of guys are going to have the dream of going to the NFL, but when you realize how many people, you know, on that team were just driven to, you know, prove the, oh, Ivy League players don't play football, like – just that that whole stigma wrong um it was just something special and i think people just had to be there to see it um so that was definitely my favorite moment and team was my freshman year and i think like the moment would be beating harvard and finally knowing that we were undisputed champions because in the ivy league you can share a championship with a team 2019 we ended up sharing with dartmouth that freshman year undisputed team and that last game against harvard at yale stadium the last time on grass uh, that was the last time we played on grass in the stadium so it was just special certainly a history there most people when you hear the team up north it's ohio state talking about michigan but obviously when you refer to it it's harvard and yeah. also you know it's known as the game where again if you look on the west coast the game is stanford cal speaking of the game and harvard what's the essence of that rivalry for somebody that doesn't is from the outside looking in what how would you describe it best you know, I still hold them on I can't really say their name like that. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of hate. But if you just had to, like, describe the rivalry, basically it's just like, you know, you got two teams that it, it, I guess it started academically. I don't really know the history. But, you know, those Yale and Harvard are always competing to see who is the best school academically. So when you add sports into it, it's just a whole another element of pride. I think when you look at how long Harvard really dominated Yale, before my class got there, uh, you know, I think they went like 14, 15 straight, not losing. Immediately when we get in there, we want an undisputed championship against our rivals. So that rivalry is just like, it's our Ohio State Michigan. Like, you know, that, that game is phenomenal. The whole atmosphere is phenomenal. The whole city, the whole energy in the city is different. You know, Ivy League games, you don't get that many people per game. Harvard, the least amount of people I ever saw at our Harvard game was 47,000. So. It's just a it's a different atmosphere and it's a lot of like it's a it's a lot of pride in that game. It's a it's a lot of pride and uh win, lose or draw, you learn a lot in that game. You probably learn the most from that game out of all the games, so all right. So I mentioned all the positions that you that you played. Which of those positions do you enjoy playing the most? My first love was like I started playing on offense. You know, that was my first love, just you know, give me the ball and let me be a playmaker. So being on offense is always fun. You get to be a little loose. You know, your mindset is not as, as serious as a defender's is. And just like in general, offenses are, are a lot more relaxed because um, you have to be. You got to be loose to really play uh, a good game on offense. So I'd say like my most fun position would be like a like a slot um, wide out tight. Like that was the most fun plan in college just because, you know, when you have the ability to get the ball, 
and really like turn a game around just by giving you the ball is fun. But I think what I'm best at and what I've been doing the longest and what I'm most comfortable, because uh, even on offense, I still have moments where I'm pretty uncomfortable. But on, on defense, when I'm playing corner and nickel, that's when I'm like myself. I think that's the best version of me. I'm highly competitive. On defense, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm, I'm a technician. So take it very personal, like when I get a ball caught on me or we get scored on. So the game just means a lot more to me on defense. Um, and I guess because it's, it's, I'm protecting something versus on offense, I'm on attack. So corner and nickel, definitely what I'm best at and what I'm most comfortable at. But having fun, I like wide receiver. Well, like they say, the more the more you can do, right, gives you more yes, opportunities. Sir. And if we're talking about the next level, do you see yourself having the best opportunity playing defense? Or would you say the wideout position gives you a little bit more flexibility? Um, I think, you know, like I've heard you know, different from different people, but I think just my size and my ability, I think I would have the longest career at nickel slash a little bit of corner. So definitely see myself as that more so in, in NFL professionally. I mentioned also the kick returns. I've always been fascinated by this because, you know, the ball is so high in the air in most cases on a punt or a kickoff. And you got 11 guys just coming down wanting to take your head off. What's going through your mind when that ball is in the air? I mean, what, what's kind of like the mental checklist and what you're thinking about and then what you need to do first? So I, I did kick return, punt return, both in college. Um, and kick returns mindset, you know, you want to secure the ball. And then, like, it's a lot more relaxed because you got, you know, a lot. You got people in front of you that are also blocking. It's way easier to catch on kick return. Punt return, mindset is secure the ball, don't die. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a a lot of headhunters coming on punt return. But I think the thing that helped me the most was playing defense. I know what guys hate, and they hate to tackle somebody that's in attack mode that isn't, you know, plan to get hit they're playing to deliver blows so when i'm back there at punt return once the ball's secured i just kind of go back into playmaking mode and try to be on the attack um because when you're on the offensive i think people tend to show their true colors and that's when you really see how good a team is and that worked for me in the ivy leagues a lot of ivy league teams stopped kicking to me this year i got my first punt return in the rain uh off of bounce which was crazy but um you know just being aggressive i saw the bounce i saw three guys that I thought I could take on. I beat the three, and, you know, the punt return team did a great job blocking and doing the rest. And I think just being in attack mode, a lot of people at return uh, don't think about attacking. They just think about securing and getting what they can. And, you know, every time I touch the ball, I'm thinking playmaking, game-changing ability. So making sure I'm smart and securing the ball in both at first and then after that, just being a playmaker and being in attack mode. So you played multiple sports in high school, track, lacrosse, obviously football. You played all over the field, both sides. You know, we've talked all about this. So obviously, you know, a lot of athleticism there. What can we expect for your uh, measurables, if you would, or, or test numbers at your pro day? I think I'm going to impress a lot of people. You know, I think people see me and they already think, you know, quick, twitchy, fast. But I don't think people realize how strong I am. That was something I've always taken serious in high school. You know, I, I lifted with the O-line and the D-line, or at least tried to, and that made me a lot stronger. When I got to Yale, I got voted, you know, pound for pound, one of the strongest, if not the strongest player on the team. You know, what I'm going to come in, weigh in, and how I'm going to look and how I'm going to move, I think people are going to be, like, very surprised um, how strong I am because um, I think people expect me to be, you know, fast and athletic, but I don't think they – 
expect me to have as much explosiveness and power in my body that I do. So unofficially, height, weight, speed, just to give listeners a, an idea if they haven't seen you play before, <laughs> just so I, what is it you're talking about your size? Let, let's hear it. Uh, right now, I'm about like 5'8", uh, 180, trying to get to upper 180s, mid-180s by pro day. Uh, I still want to be moving nice and fast. And my 40 time, we haven't ran a full, you know, time 40 yet. We've just been practicing mechanics, 10-yard splits, 20-yard splints. So can't really get your 40 time right now. But uh, if high school is any indication, it'll be it'll be 4-4 or lower. So at Oregon's camp, I ran like, – last time I ran a, a true 40, I ran it at uh, the Oregon Duck camp, and I ran a 4-4-9 I'm going into my senior year of high school. So praying and training hard so, you know, we could crack that 4-4 barrier. All right. So expectations, you're, you're thinking maybe in the four threes? Hopefully. High four threes, low four fours. It is like all-star game season and so forth. You participated in the Tropical Bowl. Uh, what did you take away from that experience? Really introduced myself like to scouts and really getting to understand like how this whole process works, just like with the track and everything. Uh, Football-wise, it was a good experience to really play against, you know, some FBS players and really like gauge my talent and see where I was. Um, so I, I felt good out there. Didn't feel like my athleticism was short of anything um, or lacking of anything. Uh, just learned that big part of it was, you know, just really making yourself known to the scouts and just like reaching out to people and getting to meet a lot of people. So that was a big thing that I didn't even realize was a big part of it. So, but it was fun though. Tropical ball was definitely fun. What kind of feedback did you get from the scouts? Uh, some good feedback. A lot of people were just happy to see me in person finally, uh, talk to me, asking me. Uh, and the feedback I got that helped me the most was where uh, some specific teams like saw me and envisioned me and position-wise. Because so, I've just been deciding, you know, what I want to do. Because in my pro day, I plan on doing both. But, you know, I just want to like be able to like know once I do get to the team, like I won't be, you know, it, it, they'll have something ready. Like, they'll have a plan for me. So knowing that people were – interested looking and you know coaches were more so intrigued on how they would use me versus like scared that I play multiple positions was pretty good uh feedback that I got over the all-star game would you share one with us uh, what what the plan was or what their idea position was I can give an example like uh one of the scouts I'm not gonna say any I'm not gonna say any specific no you don't, that's one fine the, one, of, one of the scouts told me um he definitely saw me as a nickel in the league um, and especially with like, you know, free agency coming and people leaving and, you know, people getting paid in the NFL, they really liked me at nickel. Um, they wanted to see what my pro day was like, which is a lot, which is what a lot of scouts said. They want to see what I look like at pro day, you know, how I progress from the tropical ball to pro day. So that's basically like a little insight of like, you know, I heard nickel and I heard slot a lot when I was down there. So. Well, there's certainly a, a huge need for that around the league. I mean, it's rare that teams have less than five or six DBs on the field anymore anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. That would be great for you. You just came off a training session before we came on and started recording today. Who are you training with? So I'm training at Velocity Sports Performance, and I'm actually training. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm training with Jed Hardigan. He basically trains a lot of Panthers players, a lot of NFL players. Like, when we got in there today, Cordell Patterson was in there uh, working out um, with one of his buddies from the NFL. I forgot his name, but um, he was in there before us. And then for DB, Captain Motherland from Charlotte, he played for the Panthers for, I think, like 
seven or eight years, and then he went to Minnesota and played for them too. So he's been coaching us up at DB, um, getting us right, just, you know, giving us NFL tips from, like, a person who really played in the NFL long, letting us know what coaches are going to like and what they what they don't like. And then the wide receiver, we had Steve Smith come in, uh, Steve Smith Sr. He's been helping us because uh, Jed, the guy who's our, our basically our head strength coach and um, trainer, he trained Steve Smith uh, pretty much his a lot of his career you know it's it's a good group of people who really know what they're doing um have had athletes already come through the program and show that the program works so so you and steve smith are about the same size right he he might he might got me by a little bit in height but he's i gotta catch up to him and wait that's a that's a that's a freak of nature he's a he's a big dude so the man was jumping 44 inches vertically in his prime so He's a great dude to, you know, admire, look up to. I looked up to him when I was growing up in Charlotte as a kid. Um, one of the main reasons why I kind of got into football, you know, like you said, us being the same size and just always hearing undersized, little, you know, stuff like that. He kind of proved everybody wrong. Um, so he's the last Triple Crown winner since Cooper Cup. So he's been really just giving us great knowledge. Well, he may try to pull you to that to that other side of the ball. So, <laughs> the more you can do, you know. Obviously, you're going to graduate from Yale. You trained at a at a great high school, and now Yale, you're going to get a degree. If for some reason football doesn't work out, where do your interests lie? What do you think you'd do? My interest lies in the public relations sector in technology companies. I want to say um, I, I really like technology. I think like. You know, the world is shifting to a more technology, internet universe. But at the same time, like, it's so much more to technology than just programming and looking something up on the internet and websites. You know, you still need people, you know, to see what the climate is of, like, you know, the world and how they're feeling about certain, like, companies and technology and stuff like that. So I think I'm good with, you know, people and really uh, understanding the the climate of like situations and groups and stuff like that. And I've had a lot of public relations and experience. So I think that would be my biggest right now, what I want to do if I didn't play football. All right. Very good. Uh, enjoyed the time, Melvin. It's always great to catch up with somebody that's getting ready for the draft. Uh, here's an opportunity for you right now to give out your social media handles, plug anything you're involved in. Floor's yours. Yeah. Everybody follow me on Instagram, um, all lowercase, Melvin, M-E-L-V-I-N, underscore, one, 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 two. That's three ones and one, two. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at underscore, capital W-A-L-L, 11. That's underscore wall 11. Just want to say shout out to my university, Yale. Uh, shout out to my high school, shout out Latin, shout out to my middle school, middle school, shout out to my elementary school, Bain Elementary School, because without them, all this academic success I had would not be real. I think that's it. No, shout, and shout out to the east side of Charlotte, for sure. Definitely made me, so that's it, though. Thank you. All right, Melvin, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, wish you luck the rest of the way. We'll be watching the, the draft and seeing where things end up, but uh, good luck, man. We appreciate the time. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Conference games, conference championship. We got picks. I ended up two and two with my taking the best quarterback picks. Probably whiffed with San Francisco. I mean, they were my Super Bowl team. I probably would have taken them with the points. But again, hey, two and two, Chiefs, Cincinnati, San Francisco, LA Rams, whatever. So that's where we're at. 
picks for this week? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to pick against the Chiefs. Of course not. And I'm probably not going to pick against the Rams because I've got the San Francisco KC Super Bowl. So maybe it could be said that my picks are already in stone. But uh, Alex, give me a second here to maybe muddle this and you walk us through what you got. All right, I'm going to go against my 49ers. I think the the Rams will get their wish. They'll get their team into the Super Bowl. This is what they all wanted when they brought Matthew Stafford here. Sean McVay is going to be dancing. He's going to be happy. He's going to be back. I can't go against the Rams with the 49ers. The 49ers have been um, they've been great the last couple of games. I mean, they've exceeded my expectations, especially defensively. I mean, they've done some miracles. I mean, the fact that you can slow down the Cowboys' offense and then you turn around and you stop Aaron Rodgers who doesn't throw for a single touchdown against you. I mean, he didn't have a bad game, but they held him. He didn't, like, explode. I didn't expect that, especially in Green Bay in cold weather, for God's sake. So I'm going to go against my 49ers. Maybe it's I'm using a little bit of a psychological way of, like, I'm not picking them. Obviously, Reverse I them psychology. I, I Reverse love it. Reverse psychology, Lou. <laughs> I'm not there's no way that. I can go with them. Like, I'm thinking Stafford or Jimmy G. I mean, obviously, I concede, and I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford here. As far as who I think is going to get out of the Chiefs versus Bengals, as much as I want to go with the Bengals, with my baby Bengals, like, that would be such a sexy pick. You know, Joe Burrow to the Super Bowl in his second year, his ability to come back from that tough injury and lead them there. I mean, that would be just magical. I mean, the, the media will run with this story. The fact that Joe Burrow is already like the savior for the the Bengals there in Ohio. The local kid. I mean, he grew up there, right? Because he went to, you know, Ohio State before he transferred to LSU. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs just because Kansas City has been there. I mean, they've showed a lot of grit against the Bills. They'll get it done against Cincinnati at home. So I'm going with Kansas City against the Rams. Yeah, not that he needs it, but you got to believe that Patrick Mahomes, it's just in the playoffs, it just comes out. It's like, you know, over my dead body. You know, I get it. You know, last year's Super Bowl, they were a little undermanned, but you could just see, I mean, he was, he gave everything he had and maybe even a little bit more. But he and played I'll, like shit the last Super Bowl, though. Okay. He played differently. He played the way they were playing, sort of arrogant early this season where they say, hey, we're this is who we are. We're not changing. We're just going to chuck the ball deep as, as often as possible. And again, with a beat-up offensive line, that was never going to be a good recipe against that pass rush. But as we've talked through this whole season, is this team has really morphed itself into a little bit more ball control. Obviously, they've got the explosive plays and so forth. I mean, his first three years, the running backs never caught this many passes. He wasn't throwing to, you know, to Pringle in the end zone. He wasn't, you know, occasionally you'd get the D-Rob catch or whatever if we're so wide open that, but he was also always looking at, at Hill and Kelsey. And obviously he still does, but these other guys are getting more involved. Jarek McKinnon, you know, catching more balls. CEH came back. He caught a few, ran it pretty well. So they're not as arrogant. I have to give him credit for kind of evolving during the season. 
And I think as far as long drives, I heard a stat and I didn't believe it because it was like, no, no way. But as far as like 12 to 15 play drive, I mean, they, they were like near the top of the league just because of the way they've been playing. So I got to believe, again, he's got a little chip on his shoulder like, hey, I'm still the top dog and you keep through. OK, no, Josh Allen's the best. No, I'd rather have Justin Herbert. No, I'd rather have Joe Burrow. Well, here he is. So I'm sticking with them. As far as the seven-point spot, that's a tough one because obviously the Bengals were good enough to beat them last time they played, and that's a fairly big number, but I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to stay with the Chiefs, minus seven. I'm going to stick with my 49ers pick, even though everything seems to be going Rams. You know, you can't beat the same team three times in the same season. They've beat them six times in a row. Jimmy Garoppolo can't score touchdowns. You know, how are they going to keep up? Shanahan's got this, man. So I'm going to stick with the Chiefs minus seven. I'm going to take San Francisco plus three and a half. I'm going to go under 46 and a half in the... Rams Niners and I'm going to go over the 54 and a half in the AFC game I guess my prediction at the beginning of the year comes true but Rams win they're playing at home last year Tampa plays at home it had never happened before and now we're looking potentially at two years in a row as the host city having the host team and the opponent you know could possibly be the Chiefs twice in a row. But that's where I'm going, Alex. Anything on the way out? Sean McVay will get the monkey off his back, and my lock of the week is the Rams will cover, minus three and a half at home. Okay, folks, a lot of fluidity this offseason, but we still got games, you know, quarterbacks, coaches, GMs, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, draft prep season. So if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that, especially we'll have you know, maybe some some pop-up episodes coming. We do have one this week with uh, offensive lineman Andrew Rupsich. So if you haven't already listened to that one, please go ahead and do that. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. He's Alex. I'm Lou on the way out. Peace.